Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Monday, January 20th, Martin Luther King Day as the Magic uh, wrap up a six-game road trip. They'll be in Charlotte this afternoon to see the Hornets, a 5 o'clock tip. Kind of crazy, but it is what it is. And then the Magic finally will come home this week. Uh, Should be an interesting couple of games, of course. You got Wednesday night, the Oklahoma City Thunder in. The surprising Oklahoma City Thunder should be uh, a good one there. Shea Gilgis-Alexander's been playing great. That team's been very impressive so far this year. Friday, the Boston Celtics come to town. We're going to talk with Max Letterman here in a minute from NBC Sports Boston. Uh, Talk a little C's. It'll be the first time we've seen those guys so far this year. And then the Clippers in next Sunday for a 6 o'clock tip. So uh, three tough opponents coming up here on the little mini homestand. But you got to wrap things up tonight with the Charlotte Hornets in Charlotte. And even the Hornets have been better than people have expected so far this year. When you look back to last week, obviously in, in Odyssey uh, through the Western Conference, five games over the course of, uh, what, seven days, eight days, Led things off with a loss uh, to the Phoenix Suns, and that was before our last podcast. But then on Monday night, you get a win in Sacramento. Tight game. Nick Vucevic uh, came through. He was clutch, 26 points and 15 rebounds in that one. And then a shock-the-world win on Wednesday night against the Los Angeles Lakers. You were without Evan Fournier. You were without DJ Augustine. Markel Fultz with a triple-double in that game, 21-11-10. He was absolutely phenomenal. And a 119-118 win in what was one of the most fun games all year. I mean, it was just back and forth all night. Um, you got contributions from B.J. Johnson, Gary Clark, the Magic, absolutely ravaged by injuries right now. So certainly flying high after that one, but just a brutal back-to-back. You had to come back the very next night to Staples Center and take on the Clippers, and the Magic were just out of gas for that one. That was a 122-95-L. And then a very disappointing loss on Saturday night, against the Golden State Warriors. In the meantime, you got uh, news that DJ Augustine would be out at least three to four weeks. He re-aggravated that knee injury, and so the Magic, without a backup point guard right now, they did get Michael Carter-Williams back on Saturday, and he looked good. You know, MCW needs certainly, he missed 13 games with that shoulder, so he's going to have to ease his way back in, uh, but he gives you what, you know, what MCW gives you. He gave you three assists and uh, some some hard-nosed defense, but Really, the whole Magic team was flat on Saturday night against that Warriors team. The ball stuck on offense. Uh, Defensively, it was probably the slowest I've seen defensive rotations uh, at all this season. And the Magic right now, I mean, they're in a situation where they got to dig deep because this is a brutal road swing. This is a tough game this afternoon against the Charlotte Hornets. Weird start time. You flew back across country yesterday, so the internal clocks are all screwed up. And at 20 and 23 right now, the Magic really need to just sort of gut it out over these next couple games. They get a break in the schedule after this little mini homestand that I talked about um, with the uh, the Clippers, the Celtics, and the Oklahoma City Thunder in. You got a back-to-back against the Miami Heat, but there's four days in between that back-to-back set. So get through this next week. Next Monday, you'll be at Miami for another tough game against the uh, the Heat. That'll be a 7.30 tip. And then you get the whole week off to rest up a little bit. You don't play again until Miami comes to Orlando Saturday, February 1st. So this next four games here, Charlotte, Oklahoma City, Boston, and then the Clippers, uh, these next five games, I should say, and then the next night in Miami, get through that stretch, and you're going to be able to get a little bit healthy, at least rest up a little bit, 
and then it's you know sort of a mad dash to the All Star break. So um, there's rest coming. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but the Magic certainly banged up right now, out of gas, fatigued. Aaron Gordon talked about it after the game on Saturday. So did Steve Clifford. You know, built in excuses. I mean, you can't. You can't just pin it on the fact that you're banged up right now because nobody is at 100% across the league. These are kind of the dog days, and um, the Magic you know, showed you some, uh, some grit and some guts on Wednesday night in Los Angeles and then a couple disappointing efforts. So um, they're going to have to get back on it, and, and hopefully they're able to gut out a couple wins here this week. Three tough teams again in Oklahoma City, Boston, and Los Angeles. Um, but getting back at home, you know, getting some home cooking, uh, hopefully the Magic able to make a surge here as we round out the month of January. So Magic Weekly Podcast, Jake Chapman here with you in our Magic Studios. Busy week for the Magic MLK Day today. It'll be the Charlotte Hornets this afternoon, a 5 o'clock tip. We'll see the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday, and then the Boston Celtics in on Friday. And to preview that matchup, talk a little C's with me. Max Letterman joins me from NBC Sports Boston. He's on Twitter, at Max underscore Letterman. Max, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining uh, let's talk about the team right now. The Lakers, uh, you guys will see this evening in Boston. Injury issues right now. Uh, Kemba Walker dealing with, what, some knee soreness, I guess. And then a sprained right thumb right now for Jalen Brown. What do you expect uh, the timeline is on those guys' return? You know, we'll see. I mean, they've been questionable the last couple of days. And, you know, the Celtics desperately need him. So it's it's kind of concerning that, that Kemba, especially missing the uh, the last game with the knee issue, just because, you know, it's not like they're, you know, load managing at this point when you're in a skid like they are. They've lost six of eight. So uh, I'm a little concerned, but it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be something that keeps them out long term. This is an interesting week for you guys. The Lakers in tonight. You get to see John Morant and the Grizzlies on Wednesday, and then you go out on the road for three. Does that include days off in New Orleans and Miami, or is that just me looking at the schedule wrong? Uh, you know, it, it, there could be some schedule losses <laughs> built in there, but you know, at this point, they're in such a such a grind at every other day thing. You know, I hope that they're they're kind of locked in and focused because they don't really have time to do anything but just play a game, travel, play a game, travel, play a game, travel. Yeah, I, I guess they've been scuffling a little bit lately. What's been obviously the injury issues, but what's kind of gone sideways as of late? You know, it's really hard to put your finger on it because. They they weren't playing great. They have not played great uh, at all in 2020 since the new year. It's they've gotten you know some wins versus some bad teams, but they didn't play good in those wins. They had one really good game versus the Pelicans, but that was pretty much it. Uh, and it's when Kemba's out, it really kind of screws things up for them because uh, their their point guard depth isn't great. Because Marcus Smart is you know while he is a, a guard, he's He's like a more of like a Swiss Army knife. He can fit really anywhere. So when you take him out of his just sort of filling in cracks role and has to actually become the point guard, and then you move up a guy like Brad Wanamaker gets more minutes. Who's just you know, there's a reason that he's not been in the NBA you know for a really long time. He was overseas. He's he's just honestly not that great. Uh, he, he's had some some flashes this season where he's played well, but lately he's he's really struggled. So they just don't have a ton of depth at guard. So when Kemba's out, it really kind of screws up their rotation. And they've also had a hard time getting Gordon Hayward uh, back into the flow of things since he came back from his hand injury uh, in late December. Because, man, he was he was playing incredible at the start of the season. And it was it really made you kind of question, because I think going into the season, we all, you know, we had tempered our expectations about the team. But when we got in there and saw the improvement for Jalen Brown, the improvement for Jason Tatum, 
They added a guy like Kemba. And then you get Gordon Hayward looking like he was back in Utah. It was, you know, it was like, man, maybe we should readjust our expectations and think maybe they can actually make the finals because he was he was looking like a potential all-star. And he's had some bad games and some good games, but it's really not about him personally. It's about uh, the effect that it's had on the team, the rotation, just trying to get him back in the mix because while he was out, it was the, you know, the Jays show with Jalen and uh, Jason Tatum. And I, I think they're they're having a hard time kind of integrating everyone back together. And, you know, that's definitely concerning because it's been almost a month. I do want to get back to Marcus Smart, a uh, three-point specialist here at, at some point. But but the Gordon Hayward thing is very interesting. I don't know. I guess from 30,000 feet, if you look at Tatum and Brown, you almost say, is there room for Gordon Hayward to be on the floor at the same time as those guys? Is that something that y- you think can work long-term? And Gordon Hayward's such a good player. You talk about a fill-in-the-cracks guy. He's willing to do anything that he needs to do, but when you talk about developing Brown and Tatum, and especially what we saw early on this year, it almost feels like, you know, I I don't know if there's room on the floor for all three of those guys long-term. No, you're right. I mean, that's definitely a thing that, you know, that needs to be thought about uh, at high levels in the Celtics organization, you know, what to do. Uh, and it could just be as simple as, you know, adjusting the roles, maybe move Hayward into more of a backup point guard role mm. and be the, you know, the general, the floor general for the second unit. Uh, but what they do mostly is they just have Tatum out there with a bunch of bench guys. I call those my Green Mamba lineups because you know he's got to go out there and act like a like Kobe and just you know that's where a lot of his bad shooting uh, games come from. Where Tatum's just playing with a bunch of guys that don't really do bring much on offense. Right. So he's kind of forced into that role. And I'd like to see Hayward out there with him, uh, maybe initiating some of the offense. Uh, and that maybe could be a way to get done because Jalen, I think, can do whatever. Jalen, I think, just he lets the game come to him, and he's aggressive. And, and I've really just really been impressed with his uh, his offense this season. It's just it's it's incredible to see the improvement in the finishing and the touch, and, and the three-point shooting has been great uh, for most of his career anyway. So uh, that's fine. But it is a question that needs to be asked about whether there's, there's room for them. And if they don't address the roles, uh, is it – you know, Hayward's got that big contract, but there's a lot of, you know, big contract guys that are, you know, reportedly on the market. And there have been some grumblings. It's not from people that are connected to the team, but I think it was always kind of like taboo to talk about trading uh, trading Hayward, you know, honestly talking about it because, you know, of course fans talk about trading everyone. Sure. But I think the more that we see the struggles and, and kind of what you're saying, it just doesn't seem to be – uh, enough of you know enough possessions for all of those guys, and it does seem to kind of be screwing things up. More people are are starting to get on the trade Hayward uh, bandwagon, and that's just it's hard to see uh, you know because the optics would be pretty bad. But I think you know if you if you take the big uh, bird's eye view of the whole situation, I don't think anyone would fault the Celtics for for moving Hayward. Do you expect them to be active next couple of weeks? You know, I didn't until the calendar turned and they really started to struggle. Uh, but I think, I think Danny's usually pretty good about, you know, being realistic about where the team is. And I don't. I would be surprised if he thought they they were a move away from winning a championship this year. I think he, because I don't think they. I think they're they're not that close to to contending for a championship. But you know, who, you saw what happened with the Raptors last year. You know, they make a, a bunch of all in moves. And, you know, they catch the Warriors and, and that are injured and they win a championship and it was totally worth it. So, you know, it, 
the difference is that you have two young guys like Jalen and Tatum who are, you know, Tatum could probably get max this summer, and Jalen's on what a lot of people said was a bad contract now looks like an absolute steal. Right. Uh, locked up long term, so I don't know if there's going to be a ton of urgency for Danny because I just don't see a a trade out there that can really vault them that high to compete with a team like the Bucks. We're talking Celtics with Max Letterman from NBC Sports Boston. What's Jalen Brown like? He seems like a guy who I would love to cover. Just interesting and always has time and unique original thoughts. What's it like covering him? He's great. He really is. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air covering a guy like Jalen because he is always, and it was like a knock on him coming out of the, dra- uh, the draft. Right. He's always thought of, you know, basketball is just one part of my life. I'm more than just a basketball player. I'm really interested in learning. He's, he's a curious guy, and I can definitely relate to that. You know, it's it's just it really is refreshing to see someone, you know, taking, you know, societal issues, you know, at such a young age and just being like, no, I'm a rookie, you know, when he came in and like, I, I'm not just here to play basketball, make millions of dollars and try to win. I'm here to do all that stuff, but also I want to make an impact in the community. Uh, and he's been great with that. He's been doing stuff with the media lab at MIT uh, with, with education, public schools and stuff like that in Boston. And it's, you know, it's really great. And what I do like about Jenna too is that, I, I felt like a lot of the issues last year were, you know, there was just a leadership void because there were too many guys trying to lead. And I think Jalen may have been one of those guys. He was like a, a shepherd without a flock. Uh, you know, he didn't have, uh, he was too young. He was, you know, like the ninth oldest player on the team last year. And this year he's got more, you know, he's one of the more experienced guys on the squad that's been here longer. He's got the contract. And whenever he gets uh, some sort of recognition, like the contract he got, or when he gets invited to the you know the rookie sophomore game and sophomore year, he always ups his game. He always takes it to the next level. He he meets the challenge. You know he he doesn't like just feel good about himself and like look I made it. It, it fuels him, and that happened again. Like he signed a, a deal. He got he got on Team USA. He signed a contract, and then he came in and he's having a breakout year again. And it's it really is like. When you see him, the things that he's better at this year that he struggled at last year, there are things that he clearly worked on in the summer. You can see the work. It's like when you, uh, it's, they're different players, but when you watch Kawhi Leonard, you know, do you know some of the moves that he does in the mid range, and it just looks so mechanical, but in like a good way. Mm-hmm. It just looks like he practiced and practiced that exact move over and over again. Jalen's finishing looks like that. He goes under uh, these little reverses with his left hand, and it just looks so rehearsed and. And it just is tight, and and it's it's wonderful to watch. It really is because uh, that was a real struggle for him finishing inside, and and it's just it's encouraging, it's inspiring to see someone you know find what he was bad at and get better at it in the off season. Same question, but Grant Williams, what's this guy like? I mean, James Herbert wrote a great piece back in November for CBS about the the Grant Williams experience. Uh, he sounds like a fascinating dude. Yeah, he is. He's really funny, and uh, I think he's. A lot of the value he's bringing to the team, other than setting screens and playing defense, is just levity in the locker room. Mm. He's funny. Uh, he's a dork, and he's not afraid to to let you know. He's into some, you know, he's into anime and some board games, video games, science, space. Mom works at NASA, so I, I mean, he just he checks off a lot of boxes for anybody that's a fan of the Celtics or basketball. Because you know, if you're into this, he's probably into it too. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's always willing to talk. He's, you know, he's funny and he was, uh, I don't know if he was coaxed into doing it as rookie hazing, but he was, 
he did one whole press conference uh, post game a couple weeks ago where he only every answer was I just want everyone to vote for Jalen and uh, Jason for the All Star game and Kemba as well. We got to get three guys in there. He said he would he would dye his hair pink if uh, they got three guys in the All Star game. As one does, uh, very obviously. Max Letterman joined me. Normal thing, yeah. Yes, exactly. NBC Sports Boston. Um, I think Great Williams probably has something to do with it. I think it's probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably an oversimplification to say that Kyrie out, Kemba in, makes everything kumbaya. But just compare the vibe in the locker room, even though they're, they've been struggling the last couple of weeks, of last year to this year, and, and, and you see what Kyrie's doing in Brooklyn, and it just feels like... He's never going to quite get it, but uh, I also think probably it was overblown a little bit, his relationship um, with some of the younger guys on the team last year. Can you compare just sort of the locker rooms from last year to this year? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. It's night and day, and you know, like you said, it's not just Kyrie. I mean, he was for sure the public face of it. Right. Uh, Kyrie helped set that just that awful tone in the just around the team, that cloud. Um, just by the things he said that he just didn't have to say, and he's doing it this year in Brooklyn. It's like, dude, you don't have to answer every question honestly. Just don't answer it, or if it's going to be throwing your teammates under the bus, just just don't say it. Um, but he's he hasn't figured that out. I don't think he's at the age where he's ever going to learn. Uh, maybe he will. But today, and last year it was more than just Kyrie. It was Terry Rozier not willing to or saying he was willing to accept his role of going back to the backup point guard. Uh, with Kyrie coming back and just not really accepting it. Uh, you know, you had guys like uh, Marcus Morris, you know, trying to be leaders and things like that. And Al Horford, supposed to be the leader, just kind of doing his own thing. And like there was just a lot of, like, it was a combination of a lot of bad things. Uh, and Kyrie was sort of the, you know, the I always ask people when people are like, what's wrong with the Celtics? I say, you know, uh, the sun has the most mass in the solar system. 99% of the mass in the solar system is the sun. That's the star. The star is the thing that sets the tone. And if something's wrong, something's going bad, it's, you know, it's the star's responsibility. It's not their fault to try to, to get them out of it. And Kyrie was very bad at that last year. Um, but there was a lot of things that contributed to it. It's not just his fault. But this year, it's you took away a lot of the veterans and you let guys like Jalen and, and Tatum, you know, become leaders you get you know you basically hand the reins of the leadership to marcus smart which is obviously a great thing because he'll you know he dive on the floor for you know a loose ball in a 20-point blowout in november if he needed to so uh he really sets the tone there uh and and kemba is just just does whatever he's told he's great he you know he doesn't say anything really exciting in post game which is kind of nice you know, you're like you're asking, you just get your cliche answer. You know, it's it's not dishonest or anything. It's just he doesn't he doesn't have to make headlines. It's not something that he's really into. Uh, but he's and he's incredibly nice and he's exciting. Uh, he's fun to watch and the young guys uh, are stepping up and it's it's exciting vibes. And you're right, like their struggles that they're having now. If they were having this last year, it would have been doom and gloom. We would have all been like the most depressed fan base, and everyone would have been you know, not wanting to tune in or watch, but it's just as a different vibe. It's your people are just like, man, they got to get out of this rut and they're gonna, it's not like a, the season's over. Let's stop paying attention. Is that, you say Marcus smart has like slid into the leadership role. Is that, I mean, is he a hundred, obviously he's like the heart of the team, but is he a hundred percent the leader within the locker room or does Kemba take some of that responsibility as well? 
I think they probably share it. But Kemba's always a, a you know, lead by example guy. He's yeah. not a real rah-rah. So, like, Marcus um, was one of the captains with Kemba at Team USA, um, as well as Donovan Mitchell. So, they, you know, they can share leadership roles. Marcus is a is the rah-rah type of guy. And also a lead by example. Just set the tone on defense and everything. Um but yeah, it and it was it's, it should always have been Marcus. Uh, I could see a guy like Kyrie kind of bristling at that last year, but mm-hmm. I mean the way that Marcus plays is um, it really it's if for people that don't watch the Celtics on a regular basis, it can seem crazy at, uh, that that fans are so obsessed with Marcus Smart. But then you when you watch him, you just like you get it. I mean he he just puts it all out there. And he makes these incredible plays that don't show up on the stat sheet. That just he'll just save a, like a ball that's going out of bounds and hit it off an opponent, so that it's a Celt- the Celtics maintain possession or they regain possession, and or it'll be like a hockey assist of some sort. He's just he's just a, uh, a leader on the floor, and he, you know he's always willing to talk. Uh, he's also a great guy to deal with the media. Doesn't say no to anything. You know, if we ever need a one-on-one for our pregame show. You know, Marcus is the guy that we, when we can't think of someone, we're like, well, let's just get Marcus because he always says yes, you know, and uh, he's just great like that. He's a great ambassador for the sport in Boston. And now he is a sharpshooter, 11 of 22 the other night from three-point range. He's the only player in NBA history, according to your Twitter, uh, to have 10-plus threes, 8-plus assists, and 4-plus steals in a game. Uh, Marcus Smart with a jumper it sounds kind of scary to the rest of the league, Max. I know it really is, and and he always would, and it's a credit to Brad Stevens and the organization for always giving him the green light his entire career, even though he was historically one of the worst three point shooters in NBA history for the amount of attempts he took in the first few years, um, because he got better. I mean, he got better. He's you know, at his, starting from his second year until last year, it was a, a straight arc up. He was getting better in three-point percentage every year. Last year, he hit 36% of his threes. This year, he's hitting 35, I think 35.4. So he's right around league average. He's a league average three-point shooter. And when you can play that kind of defense and when you have that kind of uh, that feel for offense, like that's the uh, thing that nobody talks about. They always focus on his shooting woes. But Marcus is a great point guard. He's, you know, he gets his teammates involved. He's probably the best passer on the team. Um, it, it, I mean, Haywood's probably number two. Uh, or Kemba, but Marcus just man, he is a he'll sneak in these like really good bounce passes, you know, in traffic that are that are perfect pocket passes for shooters or for guys cutting to the basket. And you know, he ends up with five assists every night. It seems like um, he's just he really and the the shooting like people need to start uh, they need to start referring to him as as at least an average average or slightly above average three-point shooter because it's been a season and a half now and the progression has been happening since the second year so I mean he's not he's not Kyle Korver he's not Steph Curry uh he may think he is sometimes and I think that's why he gets the ire of some people because he just chucks but look the other night they needed him they needed him taking all those threes because they were down two of their starters and he stepped up and even though they lost it was still an incredible thing to watch Let's get down to the nitty-gritty here. Uh, I have a strange obsession with Robert Williams, uh, the Time Lord. I, I know he's hurt right now, but what is his, what's his deal? I know he's, he can be kind of flighty, but is he, how is his uh, what first two seasons here in the NBA, how has he, he sort of developed, and like, is he going to be a part of things moving forward? 
So I've, um, I was really confident or I was really uh, excited and, and hopeful for him coming into the season because he had a great opportunity without leaving. You know, they needed him. Um, and he played well. He was playing well to start the season in little spurts. Um, Brad is still treating him like um, he treated Jalen his first couple years. If you make a mistake on defense, I'm just going to pull you. Yeah. And yeah. we're not going to mess around. Uh, try to, you know, that kind of tough love. Uh, but he, when he was playing, he was, you know, he was pretty spectacular in spurts. Uh, we were still looking for consistency, but the stuff that he needed to get better at were was all things that would come with time on the court, and that's just not something he's been able to do. Ironically, Time Lord uh, is is not does not have the time. He's <laughs> hurt all the time. He falls uh, and is slow to get up on you know every game. It mm. seems like, and now he's dealing with this hip injury. That's like it's scary. Uh, so I'm worried. I really am worried about his uh, his future because uh, it's you know it's one thing after another, and then this this really serious sounding hip injury that does not prevent him from walking around or you know did swimming lessons yesterday for the, a community event, but it, it's preventing him from exerting you know and and playing basketball, mm. uh, and that's that's going to be a problem because he's he. He has obvious potential because of his his freakish athleticism, his uncanny timing for blocking shots. Um, but at, he's the kind of player. In order to unlock that, you just got to play. And I'm not going to hold it against him that he's hurt. It's not his fault. It's just it's just happening. So it really it it worries me because I was I was really really high on him coming into the season, and and hopefully he can get back here after the All Star break uh, and get enough reps to to be a contributor in the playoffs. But if you ask me to bet. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, hips are uh, certainly nothing to, to trifle with. All right, two more. Uh, we're here in Central Florida. I probably buried the lead, but uh, let's get the Taco Fall update out of here. No, oh, I love Taco. What a guy. I mean, it's so crazy. Uh, just like when we look at our ratings when he plays, like there's a spike in our ratings. Really? He's that kind of player. <laughs> and he doesn't play a lot. He just he comes in fourth quarter of blowouts and – and it, it just word gets around. There's like a vibe in the city where every just they turn their TVs on. It's crazy. Um, the taco effect. He's uh, and, and you hear him talk. You, you guys have probably you know heard plenty of taco interviews down there. But he's just such a good kid. Yeah. Oh man, I want nothing more than success for him. I really do because you just you can just feel what a good person he is, and uh, he's got a really. A fun relationship with Ennis Cantor and with Grant Williams. Uh, those guys really seem to hit it off. And um, you know, his Brad put him in early in the game uh, to try to get the team going. I can't remember which game it was. I think it was last week or the week before. Because um, Brad had joked about the taco boost that the the arena gets. You know, the fans get so crazy that it can try to jolt the team. Uh, it didn't work, but um, I think that the amount of it, like when you. Where he is now, he's not ready to be a regular contributor in the NBA. But when you just look at where he's come from just a year ago, right. that's what you bet on. You bet on that growth. And he hasn't and played much basketball, right? I mean, he's, he's he's played for like four or five years, right? Right, yeah. So, there's you know, it's to a lesser extent, but it was a similar uh, situation with Joel Embiid when uh, he started. Like, he was a volleyball player and played soccer. And then when he came to America uh, to play basketball is when he really just started focusing on basketball. And at Kansas, you saw that growth from the beginning of his freshman year to when he ended up getting hurt. But it was uh, it was that growth that you know the Sixers were betting on that would have made him the first pick if he didn't break his foot. Um, 
And so taco to a lesser extent, um, you know, you'd see that growth from summer league to, to now. I think, I think he's definitely getting an NBA contract next year. Um, I hope it's with the Celtics because he's just fun. And I do think that, you know, there's, there's a role for him in the NBA. Um, he doesn't have the touch of a, a, a Boban, but you know, you, he changes the way teams play. They sure. can't attack the basket when he's in there and, and they can do other things like to exploit him because he's so big, but, uh, but you can take things away from the other team, and, and that'll always be there. Um, so if he can just improve at uh, covering in space a little bit and maybe add a little touch to his shot, there's a role for him in the NBA, and, and I'm excited and I'm rooting for it. Uh, last one, we're talking to Max Letterman from NBC Sports Boston. Your Twitter profile says uh, Celtics equals work, 76ers equals why I drink. I take it that means you're a Philadelphia native? I am, yes. So... Tell me about the Markel Fultz experience. I mean, obviously Boston is is tied into that, and as a fan, I'm sure you watched and were frustrated like many other Sixers fans, but he's been so great for us to cover down here. Obviously, he's playing good basketball, but when he got down here, Max, we were, you know, I, I think we all wouldn't have been shocked at all if he was a little leery of the media, of fans in general, and he's just a really, really good kid, and he's great with his time. Um, it's been It's been nothing but positives. Uh, down here for him. How have you sort of watched from afar what he's been able to do, and and what do you think about what's happened down here? So I love it because you know it was never anything against Markel the kid. It just you know he always seemed like a good kid. Uh, there was the organization and his camp. There was something that happened there, and it was it wasn't his fault, you know. And I I put most of the blame on the Sixers. That front office was uh, you know Brian Colangelo. Those guys, what a joke. Um, and then, uh, I was upset as a Sixers fan when they traded him because like, I know like it was never, he was never going to be what he is now in Philly. He couldn't, it just, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. It was too late. There were the, the sides were already kind of dug in and, and the fans just in Philly, it's just, it just, it's tough. It's hard. You know, it, it's hard. It would have been hard in Boston too, to be honest. You know, there's certain cities where it's just like, man, if you, if you're not, like the the perception was too too tainted, I think, and um, so I'm glad for him that he's doing well. What I'm annoyed about as a Sixers fan is the trade. It was like, man, if that's all you could have gotten for him, just don't trade him. Wait until the off season. That was my thing. It's like because you didn't get a contributor. Jonathan Simmons was. It, what really made me upset was like this feels like Elton Brand is just doing what Brett Brown wants, and I want a a, a GM that does his own thing. That's mm. like. Yeah, you want to talk to the coach and all, but that felt like a Brett Brown Homer, you know, guy to bring in with Jonathan Simmons because they had a relationship with person. Like, yeah, but that was years ago when Jonathan Simmons actually made an impact, <laughs> and he sucked for them last year. It was, you know, I don't know. We'll see what the pick turns into. Um, I, I think it's probably, I can't remember what it is. Probably gonna be second round picks, but um, I just wanted more in return because I was like, yeah, even if he's not the next James Harden, which we all thought he was gonna be he's still going to be a, a special player or at least a contributor. You should be able to get more than just a, a $5 million contract that you're going to not guarantee. So, uh, but I, I really do love watching him play that herky jerky style, that explosive, just like out of nowhere dunk that you think he's just going to lay it in. And he just actually dunks on you. Um, it's great to see. And I love to see him shooting threes. You know, the shot doesn't always look great, but, just the attempt as a Sixers fan. Would love to see my point guard do that. Um, 
very upsetting that he doesn't. <laughs> and when I see Markel do it, I'm like, why, you know, why don't we compare Ben Simmons and Markel anymore? Like, why don't we do that now? Because at least Markel will take those shots, you know, because that's only the only way you're ever going to get good at it is if you do it in a game. Like, look what Marcus Smart did, yep. right? He's the Celtics franchise. Uh, he has the Celtics franchise record for threes in the game now because he just kept shooting. So uh, I'm really happy for Markel, and I'm glad you asked me about him. Uh, definitely. I'm glad you joined me. I appreciate it. Uh, great stuff, as always. He's on Twitter, at Max underscore Letterman. Read all his stuff at NBCSportsBoston.com. That's NBCSports.com slash Boston. Max, thanks so much, man. We'll catch up down the road, okay? Thanks. Anytime. All right. There he is, Max Letterman. Jake Chapman here with you on the Magic Weekly Podcast.